This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Good morning, church. One more time. I am excited for this word. Amen. Uh, as, as you know, that uh, like, like Prince and Nicole was reminding us, uh, we're a Bible-believing church as much as we're a spiritual church. We believe that the Word of God is important. So teaching of the Word and uh, going through the Word expositionally is important for us. Uh, we are currently in a break from the Gospel according to Matthew uh, is what we do week after week. We, uh, we kind of go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we break down the Scripture and teach it uh, expositionally. Uh, and, and we've been in a, um, in a break from that series, which we do from time to time. And uh, I want to share a message that God has put in my heart. And it's been brewing all week. And I can't just wait to get it off my chest the same way God spoke it to me. Amen. Are you ready? How many of you get frustrated sitting in traffic? Anybody? Oh, yeah. I, I get frustrated sitting in traffic. The, the human side of me comes out. Amen. Uh, I've had it with heavy traffic, y'all. Uh, I, I can't stand it. Uh, heavy traffic is like the true test of my sanctification. Uh, I say that a lot. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is really tested uh, when it comes to heavy traffic. I've had it. I've also had it with light traffic. I don't know about you, but like I freak out when there's nobody on the road. I don't know about you. I'm like, what's going on? Like what's happening to everybody? Especially being a Christian, light traffic is not a good. You're like, uh, has the rapture happened? That's the first question that you're really asking. It's a problem if you ask that. But, but traffic is one thing, and then there's uh, other things about the road that gets to you. And there's other things about the road that gets to me. Like people that drive on the fast lane, and they're the slowest in the lane. And you're like, why don't you drive in the lane you're supposed to? Or here's another thing that annoys me is uh, people that are in front of you at a green light. Uh, it was red and it turned green and they're just sitting there. Anybody else with me? It annoys you. Uh, I've been there, right? I've been there and I've been on my phone most of the time and I've been distracted or looking at the trees or the birds. And, uh, you know, Sonia has to tap me and say, go, it's green. But when I'm alone, no one's there to remind me. So all I hear is a loud honk, blaring honk that reminds me I got to go. See, I'm a Christian. I don't do a blaring honk. Uh, okay, I do the lower octave honk. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the quick release. Anybody do that? Right? The, I don't want it to be loud. Yeah, Mitchell does it. I do it. The rest of y'all need prayer. Uh, you you, you got to go with a quick honk where it's a, they, they can barely hear it, but it's enough to warn them where they lift up their hand and say, thank you. Not the other way around. Roll the window and show you something that you don't want to see. Right? We don't want. So, so uh, the, the gentle, the, the lower octave honk is something that I like like to do. I like to be gently reminded to move on. I want to title my message, Move On, this morning. Move on. Because there's so many people that are just sitting at green lights. God has given you a green light. God has given you the go-ahead. You have the green light in front of you, and yet you choose to sit at green lights. Nothing is more frustrating than sitting behind someone that's stuck at a green light. You have the legal permission to go. You have the ability to go. You have the, the power in your feet to just press that gas and release that, that, that car to, to go on. But yet, you are stuck where you are. You are stuck in your release season. 
There are so many of us that are in probably our release season, a season that God has released us and yet we feel stuck. I don't know if you're there, but I've been there plenty of times in my life. Where although God has given me the green light and although God has put a check mark on that season, I am still hesitant to go because I'm stuck. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to soon be introduced to this man that is stuck. So I want you to go with me to 1 Samuel 16 and we're going to verse number 1 and 2. Two verses that we're going to read and then a few other verses from the scripture that we'll start reading in a little bit. But here's what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16 verses 1. The Lord said to Samuel... How long will you grieve over Saul? If you want to follow with the sermon notes, you can. The the Bible app is going to come up in a little bit after this verse. But the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. Someone say go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. I want you to underline myself. I provided for myself. This was the first time that God is going to do it because of his own will. And not being pushed by somebody else. We'll talk about that in just a second. Verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Like I said, the the notes are available on the Bible app. All you got to do is scan the QR code that's going to be coming up in just a second. And if you have the Bible app, you can follow along with the notes that are there and put in your own notes. But in order for us to understand 1 Samuel 16, it is of the essence that you give context to this particular text. Uh, In 1 Samuel, we learn of how the nation of Israel is observed. Other nations around them have kings and monarchies and and people that are running their countries. And all all this this while, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel was under this prophet and the prophet guided them and led them and showed them the way. They were led by priests and by Moses the prophet. And then there was Samuel at this moment in time in 1 Samuel when Israel is demanding a king. Israel looks at Samuel and says, man, we need a king. Samuel goes up to God and says, God, this is what the people want. They want a king. And God is hesitant because they wanted a man to do for them what God has been doing for them all this while. I want to remind somebody here today that there is, there's, there's only a certain limit that man can do for you. What God does for you, no man can ever do for you. Do not even look at replicating God in certain situations in your life. You will pay for it very, very dearly. And here is the people of Israel prematurely saying, we want a king when God was like, I don't think you're ready for it. But God decides to give them what they want. So in walks this man called Saul. God says, here's a man, you can anoint him. This, This man called Saul from the tribe of Benjamin, from the tribe of Matri, from the house of Kish, This son that God looks at and says, fine, this is what I'm allowing. And this man has become a problem from day one. Here's a man who's doing what, who's not doing what God has called him to do. And he's doing everything that he's not supposed to do. 
It's so bad that, that Saul has been just disobeying the voice of God that he has this tendency of disobeying and then asking for disobeying, asking for forgiveness, disobeying, saying, oh, I don't know why I did that. To the point where in chapter number 15, towards the end, God is fed up. He has conquered, he's conquered the Amalekites and God looks at him and says, wipe out the Amalekites. I don't even want one of them alive. He says, he, he, he says get, get away, get rid of them. But he spares the rich Amalekites and he spares the king of Agag. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 11, you find the saddest tragedy that ever was recorded. In verse 11, the Bible says, God regretted Saul. I want you to catch on to this. He says, I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. In chapter 15, verse number 11 begins this crying process that Samuel is engaged in. I'm going to revisit this in a little bit, Rebecca. This is important that you mark these words crying all night. It's even more important for you to mark the words, I regret. It's not very often that God in the scriptures regrets something that he does. And in this moment, God's like, man, I regret making him and appointing him king. Oof, that would be a sad day when God regrets me, brethren. I'm telling you that. I, it would be a sad day if God has to look at me and say, I regret Ashish. I regret making him a pastor of this church. I regret giving him the stuff that I gave him. Like that would be a sad day for anybody in any sense for God to look at you and say, man, I regret you. I pray that I would never, ever get to that point. God protect me from all the pride that I would ever have to get to that point where you look at me and say, I regret you. Whew. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 35, this is repeated one more time. When the Bible says, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. Just like it was so powerful and this, this was something that, was, that, that, that we had to take to heart. He's reminding us. And, and, and after that comes Samuel in verse 35. It also says, and Samuel grieved over Saul. Someone say grieved over Saul. He starts crying in verse 15. The crying hasn't stopped. And in verse number, number 35, he says, Samuel grieves over him. You go to verse 16, God finds a grieving Samuel. And he says, how long are you going to be sad and sorrowful about a season that has come to an end? He's saying, man, how long? Someone say, how long? How long are you going to be pathetic? How long are you going to be, are you going to be apathetic? How long are you going to be pitiful? How long are you going to sit here and mourn over Saul? God is sincerely disappointed that Saul is still grieving because God has already prepared the next king. He, even, he knows it actually. Samuel has, actually knows that God has prepared somebody. But yet Samuel is grieving and God is disappointed because he has the time. He has, he has had the time to be prepared for this. If you go to 1 Samuel 15 and 28. And Samuel said to him, to, to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Samuel knew this was coming. Yet he is sorrowful. He is sorrowful 
But God's like, man, how long are you going to be sorrowful? How long are you going to grieve? Why? Because David's day cannot begin unless you stop wailing about your yesterday. I want to remind somebody this, that someone else's opportunity is in limbo because you're still mourning over your tragedy. And God sent me this morning to remind somebody, go on with it. Come on, somebody, get on with it. Get over it because God is tired of sitting behind you and you're sitting at a go sign. You're sitting at a green light and you're just sitting there without moving. Oh, I I need to talk to somebody. You've been sitting in front of that green light with your head in your phone, with your head over that person who broke up with you. You've been sitting on your phone wondering if that person's ever going to call back, if that job is ever going to take you back, if another, come on somebody, if that manager is ever going to respect you. You're just sitting and scrolling through what could have been or what would have been. And God is easing up on the bumper of your life today. Waving his hands and saying, yelling and, and giving you that, 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 that lower octave honk and saying, come on, raise your head. It's time to go. When you're mourning, your head is not raised. You can't see clearly what's ahead of you. And Samuel knows what God's plan is. It's not that you don't know what God's plan is, but the ability to look up in the midst of adversity is shunned, is stunted. Oh, come on. I, I, need, I need someone to understand this. And God is looking at him and saying, get over it. Someone say, get over it. He's saying he's grieving him. And, and this word grief is different from the word earlier when the Bible says he was crying over him. That's different. He's been crying for a while. And now the Bible says he's grieving over him. And this word grief over here that's used in the Hebrew, Lisa, is this word for, for bereavement. It's that Jewish ritual when people go through bereavement, when somebody has passed away, sackcloth and ashes. Like we're talking about head down. We're talking about vow of silence. That's what we're talking about. Am I talking to somebody? That's what Samuel is actually going through. But here's the problem. He's mourning Saul, but Saul's still alive. Oh. If he's not mourning the dead, what is he mourning then? If he's not grieving over the dead, what is he grieving over then? And I want to pause this morning to remind us of four things that I want to catch on to today. Four things, and we'll get into that in just a second. If he's not mourning the dead, what is he mourning? Here's, I may contest this morning that Samuel, the prophet, is, is mourning the premature ending to what was to be a fairy tale story. I want to remind somebody this morning that losing a first of anything is one of the most difficult things that we ever have, we ever have to go through in our life. Somebody sitting here has gone through a lost moment. A moment where you've lost something in your life. And it's not easy to lose something. It's not easy to lose someone. It's not easy to lose that job. That source of income. It's not easy. But Samuel is mourning the investment that he's made in Saul. He's taking it personal. He's taking it as a personal defeat maybe. He's upset that he didn't get it right. He's probably blaming himself. Here's a man that has poured everything into Saul. Like it was Samuel that first heard about Saul. It was Samuel that laid hands on Saul. It was Samuel that prayed over Saul. It was Samuel that anointed Saul. It was Samuel that planned his coronation. It was Samuel that he, he Saul owed everything he had to Samuel. I want to remind somebody, somebody doesn't need to die to mourn. 
Just give the best part of yourself to someone or something. And when you don't see that it turns out, it doesn't turn out the way that you want it to, or the person doesn't turn out the way that, that you would have had them turn out, man, you find yourself stuck at a green light without the ability to go forward because your head is down, sackcloth and ashes, and there are things that would not allow you to go forward. I want to remind somebody that the death of a dream can hurt as much as the death of a loved one. A death of an opportunity can hurt as much as the death of a loved one. The death of your job and the financial resource that you had can hurt as much as the death of a loved one. Because it's just not a normal death, it's the death of expectation. A death of expectation will cause you to grieve. Because you expected something to happen and it didn't. When you give everything you have and you get nothing in return. Come on, am I talking to somebody here? When you work overnights and weekends and get used, used and misused at that job just to realize that, man, that job is not going to take you to retirement. When you sacrifice family time and God time to climb the corporate ladder only to be turned down for all the promotions that you applied for. When you fall in love and at the end of it, there's no ring. When you give all you got into marriage and there's no happily ever after. I'm talking to somebody when you give your child everything you have. If you give them your resources, they give them your attention and they never walk that stage with that diploma or that degree. I'm talking to you where you give everything you have and you get nothing in return. Samuel is sitting in that position and he's given everything that he's had. He had expectations. He had hopes. He had aspirations for this young man. And yet this man has turned his back on God. And there's a way that we as Christians take this stuff personally. We blame ourselves. And Samuel is probably caught up in that because the death of a dream can hurt. Oof, I need someone to understand this. He's sitting at a green light, but he can't move. Why? Because he's mourning. Why? Can I give you four things real quick? Let me give you a few reasons as to why you can't move at a green light. The first thing that Samuel teaches us is this. You can't move at a green light because you're too invested. You're too invested. You want to prove a point. If I've come this far... I have got to see victory. It's way too far in the game for me to back out right now. I still remember a couple of years ago when I bought some shares to a stock that I was looking at and I, and, and I knew the, the, the stock was falling, but you know, in, in my mind, I was like, man, this is probably going to rise. It's probably going to go up. And I was like trying to hold. I don't play in the stock market, but this was a particular stock. I was like, maybe it's going to go. Maybe it's going to come down. And I was, I, was, I was like, Lord, please. And, I was, and the Lord's like, I have nothing to do with that, bro. That's all you kind of a deal, right? Don't pray for that. And, and, and I was like hoping against all odds. And it, it had gone significantly higher than what I paid for it. And Yet, no matter how much I hoped, it wouldn't go higher. I didn't lose money on it. I made a little bit of money on it, but I didn't cash out at the right time. And, 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 and my stubbornness of wanting it to work up, my stubbornness of saying, this, this graph is definitely going to go back up, according to standards, did, did, defied everything that I thought. Like, 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 like the stubbornness of wanting your past to work up might make people want to keep waiting even though they see the green light. Even though God is like, the door is open, you're like, no, not right now. I think this is going to work out. I think there is hope over here. And sometimes that's called pride, church. 
That attitude of I've given too much to walk away just like that. Like nobody's going to disrespect me like that. I'm going to make my point. I'm, they're going to respect me for who I am. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to show them who I am. I didn't pour out so much so I don't get anything in return. That man or that woman was nothing till they met me. I made them who they are. Pride says I refuse to walk out empty handed. That's what pride says. Pride says over my dead body. But you get stuck at a green light where God is like, I want to release you for something bigger because your pride does not allow you. And something inside of you is telling you, man, just hold on. Something is coming. I don't know if there's someone here trying to make something work that doesn't work. I don't know if someone's trying to beat something into working and resurrect something that God's like, you got to move on from. So the Lord intervenes in that moment. What does the Lord do? He makes a statement and he follows that up with a question. The statement is this. He looks at him and said, man, I've rejected this guy. I've rejected this person that you are hoping for. Like you're hoping against all odds. My, and, and he says, my hand is not on him anymore. There was a time that my hand was on him. That was a season. That was a chapter. But I need you to move on. It's no longer my will. My hand is not on it anymore. The thing that's not supposed to be permanent in your life. God's like, man, it was at one point in time. But right now, you need to move on. There's an open door. There's a green light. And you've got to walk right in. And God is looking at somebody and saying, you being too invested in something shouldn't stop you from going to the next place. Samuel was like, Lord, this was my first, Lord. How did I get this wrong, God? Maybe there's a way out. He's grieving. He's like, Lord, it's hard for me to get over this. Even though he knew what the truth was. Even though he told Saul in his face, God is disappointed with you. He is still disappointed in himself. So many of us know that that closed door is from God. But yet we won't walk through the new one because we are so addicted to what we were going through in that particular season in our life. The second thing that Samuel teaches us is not only are we too invested, but you're doubting your own ability. You're doubting your own ability. He's mourning his lack of discernment probably. What's the role of a prophet? The role of the prophet was to discern. Was to say if this is right or wrong. See, here's the problem, right? Here's the problem. Samuel is the one that has to have discernment. That's his job. Why does God have to tell the prophet what his hand is on or what his hand is not? He's in this conundrum. Why does God have to tell the prophet what his hand is on? Because you, can can I, and I want you to listen to this. If you don't listen to anything else, I want you to listen to this. Because you can want something or someone so badly that you can convince yourself that it's the will of God when all evidence shows that it's not. You have the ability to do that. Because the biggest enemy to discernment is desire. You can want it so badly that you miss God's hand. You can want it so badly that you are blinded and can't discern God's will. And I, know, I don't know how, who needs to hear this word. I don't know who is caught in, the world, in this whirlwind of emotions and this whirlwind of not knowing, hey, why is this season happening to me? And maybe God gave you signs here and there and here and there. And yet you are, you are perplexed. Lord, why is this happening, Lord? Sackcloth and ashes and everything. 
God will slap you multiple times to show you that his hand is not on it, but, but it's, it, that it's not his will. But sometimes we push and sometimes we, we want it to work out. And then after the statement comes the question. God's asking, how long will you mourn for something that you know God is not in anymore? How long are you going to hold on to something that God is not holding anymore? How many of us get caught up in holding on to things that God's like, man, I've let go of that a long time ago. And you wonder why it's so heavy. Am I talking to somebody? You're like, Lord, I thought you were going to bear burdens. Yeah, he did. He told you. He told, that's what the Bible says in Psalms 52 and verse, 55 and verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. Let me break that down for you. In just a second, Isaiah 41 in verse 10. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Someone say, help you. I will uphold you with my righteousness. He says he will help you. He says he will sustain. You know what the meaning, that literal meaning is literally this. You're carrying a load that you can't do by yourself. And God comes and says, hey, let me help you. Have you ever been in a situation where you were carrying something heavy? And somebody said, hey, let me help you with that. The burden becomes what? The verse doesn't mean that God comes to you and says, hey, sit down. Have, have some Kool-Aid. Let me do all the work for you. That's not what God means. God says, if my hand, if my will is on this, I will come to your side. I will not leave you, not depart you, and I will sustain you. If you feel like there's a burden that's way too heavy for you to carry, remember, God's not going to let you do it if it's his will. But if it's not his will, he'll stand by and second your motion, and you will have to suffer the consequences of that weight tearing you and bearing you down. So many of us are holding on to stuff that we shouldn't be. Stop mourning over something that God has let go of. And I know, I know some of y'all are sitting here and probably saying, Pastor, you know, it's easy for you to say that. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the breakup. You don't know the hurt. I'm healing, Pastor. I'm healing. I'm going through my season of healing. I need my closure. I'm emotionally processing everything that's happened. My therapist said that I need to go through five stages of grief. And pastor, I'm going through five stages of grief. Now, I get it. Trust me, I get it. There are counselors sitting here. There are social workers sitting here. I'm a counselor myself. I get it. There. But, but the question that God is asking is, Prince, how long? That's all he wants to know. Because you've had time, Samuel, to process this. It's been weeks. It's been months. Like we, I gave you a warning. You yourself told Saul that this is coming. Yet you're sitting over here. You've cried it all. But sit, you're sitting here like acting like all hope is lost. And there's nothing going to come out of this. You're acting like hope is dead. But God's like the door is open in front of you. Ashes and put the ashes aside. Put the sackcloth aside. How long is the question? And I want to challenge somebody here today. Stop mourning over things that God has looked at you and said, I have healed. I have given you the power. I have given you the ability. I have given you the strength to overcome and let go. Get ready for what God is doing next. Come on. Can I hear an amen now? It's easy for you, Pastor, to say that. Because the end of chapter 15 right? You might ask me, how long, what, how long is how, like, like, God is saying how long, like, I can't give you a chronological answer between how long God expects you to get over it. Like, that's not biblically presented. He didn't say after the third week of him mourning, uh, you know, this happened, nothing of that sort. I can give you a biblical answer of what I read. I know it might not be accurate, but you want to know what the distance is between when he was mourning and God told him to get over it? 
Y'all ready for this? One verse. One verse. In verse number one, he says, man, I just want you to get over. He doesn't stop. He, does, he just doesn't say get over it. He looks at him. See, this is my God. My God just doesn't come look at you and say get over it, man. He gives you a solution. He says, here's how you can get over it. You ready for this? Point number three. He then says, get ready for something better. Get ready for something better. All right? And the third thing he's asking him to do is fill your horn with oil. In verse 16 and verse 1, he says, fill. Do you have that verse? If you could bring that back. The first slide, if you can bring that back. He says here, he says, fill so he says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. He said, get ready for something better. The third thing I want to remind you today is this. You're running on empty. The reason you're sitting back at a green light that God has opened, you've exhausted all your resources on this one person, on this one thing, on this one job, on this one opportunity, and you have run out of oil. There are people here, you, have, you feel like you have nothing to offer. The reason your head is down is because the moment you lift your head up, somebody's going to ask you something you're not going to have an answer for it. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody, but God says fill it up. Why fill it up? If he has to fill it up, it was empty. Like, stop messing around with Saul is what God is telling. Like, like, that season is done. Stop wanting to resurrect that. Like, that is done. Like, like Saul drained your oil. Come on, somebody. How many of you have, have, have had Saul's in your life that have drained? They have done their fair share of emptying you up. And today, God is looking at you and saying, the reason you're empty is you're, you've allowed yourself to do that. And God is looking at someone and saying, the door is open. Go fill your... Mm, this is good. This place is awfully quiet today. Have you ever met somebody who's drained your oil? Have you ever been with somebody and all they did was take your oil? Have you ever had people that just took, 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 took? Have you ever had people that just left you on empty? That borrowed your car and never felt get, 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 get. That annoys me, right? Have you ever had somebody that walked into your life and jacked up your credit? Have you ever had somebody that walked into your life, they messed up your health, they messed up your wealth, they messed up your mental health, they took you from mentally stable to unstable to deranged, and you're still sitting there, and you're like, maybe one day. Have you met somebody that has ruined your peace, they have drained your oil? I want to remind somebody today that a believer with an empty horn is an empty believer who has nothing to offer. A believer needs to have oil in his horn all the time because the believer is anointed and what the, 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 the horn or the, the, the chauffeur's horn, it was filled with oil. And this horn, for those of y'all who don't know what I'm talking about, is what he would take and he would pour onto the king to anoint him as king. And he says, Saul has drained your oil. You used it all on Saul and, and that was all you had. And, and God's like, you have the ability inside of you to go and do something about this. Worship team, you guys can get up and come up. But a believer with oil is a man or a woman on a mission. And God looks at him and says, I want to send you to Bethlehem. 
I want you to go and find this man from the house of Jesse. I'm going I'm to give you one of his sons. We're going to anoint this man as king is what he's saying. Because by all standards of comparison, David was better than Saul. Am I talking to somebody? Like David was so much better than Saul. And it's all that God wanted Samuel to understand was that you just need to get over your last season in order for you to embrace your next. It's a biblical principle that the latter is always going to be better than the former. God's next is always going to be better than his last. I want to remind somebody, stop clinging on to the last, hoping that it will resurrect. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But God, in his infinite mercy, has opened up doors in front of you. And when you let go of that last chapter and that last door, God says, not only am I telling you to get over it, not only am I telling you it's been too long, I'm giving you the tools necessary. And he says, fill your cup. What does that mean? It means that some of us need to come back to church. Some of us need to be back in community. Some of us need to be back in worship. Some of us need to open up our Bibles and dust it off and say, I need to go back to reading the word. I need to go back to lifting my hands in worship. I need to fill my cup because everything inside of me is running low. Like some of us are running on fumes. You don't know when it's going to chug, 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 chug and it's going to stop. God's like, man, I've given you the ability. Fill up your oil. Go fill that horn with oil because what's about to happen is something bigger. And he says, go to Bethlehem. Can I remind somebody that you can't stay in the same place and expect a new David? I thought I would get like 10 amens for that. I see y'all sleeping. You can't run with the same folk and expect new results, y'all. You can't do the same things over and over again and expect God to come through for you miraculously. You can't live the same old lifestyle and say, God is making me a new person. Move. Get up. Do something about your situation. Three things. Reasons as to why you can't move at a green light. One, you're, in, you're too invested. Two, you're doubting your ability. Three, you're running on empty. And the fourth thing is this. 1 Samuel 16, verse 2. How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. The fourth point is this. You're stuck at a green light because you go into preservation mode. You go into preservation. You want to protect the little that you have. Saul's taking everything from me, but I'm scared that if I keep, like, like he's going to take the rest. Whatever is... He says, God, I can't do that. I can't do that. The stuff of my past will kill my tomorrow. That's what Saul is saying. He's saying, Lord, you have no idea the stuff of my past. Like, you have no idea what Saul is capable of. And some of y'all are sitting over there and you're like, I don't like talking about my past because there's a way that my past tries to make its way back and try to find me in whatever part of the world I'm in. And some of us, man, the, the, some people try to move cities, move churches, move communities, move even countries and go to distant parts of the world because they want to forget their souls. But yet, like a Jacob, you're always in fear. Can't sleep at night with one eye open. You're, not, you're afraid when your Esau is going to come and bludgeon you to death. Come on, am I talking to somebody? Like you, are, you live in the fear that Saul might come and get me. So you go into preservation mode. For so many people, it's a, man, if I don't, if I just don't move, if I just sit here, maybe I don't have to go through this hassle. 
Maybe if I don't get into another relationship, I won't be heartbroken again. Maybe if I don't just, I vow to never get married again, maybe nobody will ever divorce me ever again. Maybe if I don't work, let me, let me just, let me just get in the system. Let me just not work at all. How's that working out for you? How are all those scenarios working out for you? Some of us, it's a, man, I got stuff from my past and if it gets out, it'll destroy my tomorrow. If they find out what I've really done, man, I, I, and I'm, I ain't gonna lie, the devil has a good memory. He sure does. And he's good at reminding you of your past. But thank God that my eyes are on Jesus. Because the devil likes to throw my past in my face. But my God shows me the glory of tomorrow. And he says, that's what happened, Ashish. But tomorrow, I'm opening a door. I'm opening a window. I'm opening an opportunity. I'm opening a new season. I'm opening a new marriage. I'm opening a new relationship. I'm opening a new job. I'm opening a new experience that no eye has seen, no heart has heard. But when God calls you to a new season, he knows where he's taking you. And he says, I'm going to show you where you're going go to Bethlehem but God he's gonna kill me guess what God already knew that and says Samuel you already know this but Bethlehem and I did I did some digging into this Bethlehem that particular city that he was asking him to go to that was one of the very small regions in the southern part of Judea that Saul had not yet claimed or taken over as yet he had not no control over Bethlehem Oof, I don't know who's hearing this message. But he sends Samuel to where Saul has no authority. Come on, somebody. I want to remind somebody that your David will look nothing like your Saul. Come on, somebody. Your new chapter will have no allegiance to your new chapter. Come on, somebody. When God puts you in a new place, he changes your identity. He looks at you and says, I'm sending you to a place where the enemy has no control. He has no, no reins. He has no ability to infiltrate and, and threaten you anymore. I will protect you is what God is telling Samuel. He's saying, all you got to do is fill up your horn. Fill up your horn. Stand up to your feet with me. Fill up your horn. Fill up your horn. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.